Hello. Uh, thank you all uh, for coming to Talking Bay 94 Live uh, at, at Star Wars Celebration. So I don't know how we uh, swung that, but I appreciate everyone, everyone being here. Um, for those who don't know, which is probably most of you, uh, Talking Bay 94 is a podcast where I interview the cast, crew, and creators of Star Wars. Every week it's just a one-on-one -on -one interview with someone that worked on Star Wars. I'm Brandon Winerdy. That's my producer, Jason, back there. And uh, we're very excited. Yeah, give it up for Jason. Uh, we'll keep this nice and breezy and uh, have some questions for our very special guest. And uh, we'll try to have some fun. But uh, let's bring him up now, the uh, senior creative executive for the franchise story and content group at Lucasfilm, Mr. Matt Martin. Everybody give him a big hand. Hi. I like how rowdy this crowd is. Yeah, really, uh, <laughs> really riled up at uh, 11 a.m. That's real good, everyone. Thank you for getting through that queue and getting up here. And, you know, I, uh, I think there's a different panel with uh, a few very small name visual effects uh, artists and no Academy Award winners uh, at this time. Um, but anyway, if Lawrence Kazan does want to come, we can probably. I'm sure we can slip him in. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, cool. Matt, thank you. For, for, for sure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, well, we'll do what I always do, which is this, we're just going to go chronologically through Matt's career and just talk Star Wars and talk all about your journey because it's, it's fascinating. And um, we'll just start at the very beginning. What was your first experience with Star Wars? So uh, I grew up in what, what we call the dark times, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which is, you know, essentially, I guess I was alive for Jedi, but um, after you know, I really had an opportunity to watch those. So Star Wars was sort of already in the, the zeitgeist mm -hmm. when I was a kid, but nobody cared about it. Um, so I knew of it, but I would say my first, like, meaningful Star Wars experience, and I've told this story before, so sorry if people have heard it, but um, I went to a sleepover at a friend's house. It was late. It was, like, midnight, and uh, some someone was randomly like, let's watch Return of the Jedi, and I'm like, okay, and whatever. They popped on Return of the Jedi. Everyone fell asleep. I was glued to it like <laughs> beyond like I was just like oh my god uh to the point that I left the sleepover after that and I walked home <laughs> so I could watch the other two movies <laughs> and then I, I actually proceeded to watch one of those movies every single night uh until I was like 16 or something and, and I guess had other things too <laughs> <laughs> well those other things like what other art and film and like creative outlets were you kind of going through, especially in those early days? Um, I mean, I've always been a big horror fan. Mm -hmm. So I think even before Star Wars, I was into horror movies or like horror adjacent movies, like, like you know, Ghostbusters or something. Um, so that's always been a huge part of my life. Um, I was into Marvel Comics, still into Marvel Comics. I have not changed. <laughs> I, I am like the exact same person that I was at that time. Um, so yeah, it's... It was most, mostly those things uh, as far as kind of what I was taking in. Mm -hmm. TV, big Simpsons fan, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> all, the, all the usual stuff. And the Disney parks, actually. Yeah. Dis Disney parks as a Southern California native yeah. uh, were pretty formative for me. Well, that worked out. Huh? Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. <laughs> well, uh, so let's go, I guess, through education a little bit and then like your early work in the music industry and everything sure. like that. How did you kind of get through... Uh, those early years and how did that start forming your like career? As sure. A... Um, so yeah, so in high school I got really, really into independent music. Um, kind of started as punk and then sprawled out from there. 
Um, but I'm not a musician at all, uh, but I'm very organized. Um, <laughs> and a lot of bands are not. So when I was actually 17, I got it into my head to start a record label, um, which is really weird and crazy at the time. But I was like pretty sure I wasn't going directly to college from, from high school because I was not an amazing student. Um, <laughs> so I, I had a little bit of college fund that my, my grandparents left over that I instead used to create a record label. Um, and so I basically, I put out a compilation first and then I started signing some bands and I did that for about 15 years, mm -hmm. put out, I think 20 something awesome. records. Um, this is back when like CDs were a thing that people used. Where are the, uh, yeah, what's uh, if anybody wants some, I have a lot in my mom's closet <laughs> or like the closet at my closet at my mom's house, I guess. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of that while I was doing that stuff and like after high school I um I kind of started getting into graphic design mm -hmm. I'm not not a very good artist but I was decent enough at doing layouts of mm -hmm. things and so I was doing all of the graphics for the label and I was like well maybe that's a thing I can go to school for because it, it doesn't require a lot of math <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> like no joke that was like 90 percent my reasoning so I I you know, I Went to community college for a bit doing business, and that sucked because it did require math. <laughs> so I transferred to a, a place which I actually don't think exists anymore called Brooks Institute of Photography, mm -hmm. which at the time was a pretty prestigious, uh, very small, like, private uh, film and photography school. Uh, and they had just started a visual communications major, which is, it was actually kind of perfect for me. It was, like, graphic design that was more more theory than, mm -hmm. than just being a great artist because I can't draw or anything. So uh, I, I managed to graduate somehow from that um, and then basically realized I don't actually want to do that as a career. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, okay, there's not really any kids here, so you guys probably all understand how it's like to like go to college and then have no interest in what you went there for. Um, but thankfully, while I was... Uh, while I was in college, I started um, volunteering at conventions mm -hmm. uh, for Lucasfilm, mm -hmm. for Mary Franklin at the time. And through that, I met a lot of people, and I did that for probably five solid years. And at one point, the Star Wars shop, StarWarsShop.com, which is sadly no longer around, needed a, a designer mm -hmm. just to like, do really basic stuff like you know, size their images and make banner ads. Um, so they called me up because they knew I did that. Uh, so that's really my end to the company yeah. was volunteering and then freelancing as a very bad graphic designer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then eventually the guy that I worked with, like the primary guy that I worked with, decided that he was going to leave and he was the buyer and product developer for mm -hmm. the online store. And I put in for his job, <laughs> like completely on a whim. I have no experience in buying or product development or any of that, but I would basically sold in. I mean, I already knew the yeah. people and I kind of sold myself in as like, look, I obviously I know your site really well because I've been working on it. I know your products because I've been collecting it since I was eight. I know your fans. Maybe you can teach the, the other stuff, right. um, which ironically features math. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I did. So they, they took a giant leap on me and that was kind of how I got into Lucasfilm. That's awesome. Well, StarWarsShop.com is one of my favorite like Things in the digital like Star Wars. Oh, that's awesome. History, and so I'd love. We're gonna spend the next forty-five minutes talking about the StarWarsShop.com exclusives. <laughs> Everyone, buckle up. I worked on a lot. Of, I mean, I worked on the majority of those, really. So the problem was because initially we thought there was gonna be a presentation thing, and I was gonna go through products, but it's all kind of lost to time. A lot of the that's products. That's so sad. It's very sad. 
because um, like I was looking at eBay, like sold listings and trying to figure out all these things. What were your highlights from that time, especially for like the crazy exclusives um, um, during Star Wars Shop? Let's think. The Jawa Garden Gnome <laughs> is a particular favorite of mine. Um, it's so stupid. <laughs> so it was funny. So the way that Star Wars Shop worked was basically we had a free license to make anything that wasn't already licensed. And as you know, Star Wars has a lot of licenses, more now than they did, but still, you know, in, in the earlier 2000s, a lot of licenses. So basically we had to get really creative about what we could make because anything obvious, even if it wasn't being made, was likely already under somebody's license. So that's what led us to doing things like the Garden Gnome. Um, and I still remember, like, talking about it, like, oh, yeah, we got he has, he has to have a hose. That'd be funny. What if he's doing a thumbs up? That's really, like, that, how do we make this even dumber? And, like, we literally took a picture of Dennis Van Gali, who still works with the Star Wars.com team, like, standing in the office, like, doing the pose, and sent that to the sculptor. <laughs> like, a Jawa like this, though. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that, like, that was how that came to be. And a lot of kind of the dumber things that we did went on to, to lead to bigger things. So like we were the first people to do the Star Wars toaster, mm -hmm. which not only led to more toasters, but led to an entire license with William Sonoma, <laughs> <laughs> which is cool, but then made it with that where we could not do kitchen products anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and like the, the Tauntaun sleeping bag started out as a joke. <laughs> I won't give it up for the Tauntaun sleeping bag. That started out started out as a joke between me and somebody at Think Geek, and then Think Geek put it out as an April Fool's thing, and then it actually became a thing for real. So, yeah, it was, we did a lot of just really dumb things. There's actually even a few prototypes that never made it out because, yeah. because the shop shut down that are featured at Rancho Obi-Wan. Okay. Because I, I basically just, I'm like, here, are you Steve. Able, are you able to say what some of those products are? Yeah, there was another garden gnome. There was a, an AT-AT garden gnome, which I think they've now done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had it tripping over a hose because that was funnier. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a, let me think, there's a Yoda like Zen fountain thing, mm -hmm. which was really cool. Um, I had to turn it off. I had it on my desk, the prototype on my desk for a long time, and eventually I had to turn it off because it made me have to pee too often. <laughs> um, but that was really cool. I'm trying to think. There was a lightsaber umbrella before anybody mm -hmm. did the lightsaber umbrella. Yeah, there was, it was, it's yeah. funny because now, especially with Disney, because they have so many licensees yeah. that like anything we had thought of probably has been made at this yeah. point. No, it's so good. And again, it's, it's that period of Star Wars, and we'll talk about the, the digital part of it too, but it was a little bit of a second dark time where there yeah. was no real content coming out besides Clone Wars and having like the M&Ms and the NASCAR, like that kind of yeah. era is, is very interesting. I still have... I think the Empire Clapperboard, yep, a big one. I have the Tauntaun sleeping bag, as, as some members of the audience are aware, <laughs> uh, which caused a panic attack when I got it in the mail. I was like, "What am I going to do with this <laughs> Tauntaun sleeping bag?" Yep. Um, so that's in the closet. Um, but yeah, uh, with moving then from Star Wars shop and then going to a StarWars.com digital community role, mm. what was that transition like? Were you doing both at the same time, or so? Star Wars Shop was already part of the larger StarWars.com team, so I was already sort of like adjacent to them. Um, and I was sort of doing some stuff for them on the side anyway. Like I was writing encyclopedia entries and just other stuff for fun because I was a nerd and it was a thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that for a bit. And then when it was clear that we were going to start phasing out Star Wars Shop, 
and they needed someone at the same time to, it was, it was basically, it was actually when Pablo, who's also on mm -hmm. my current team, left that team. <laughs> they basically needed somebody to step in and fill his role managing the content on, on the site. Yeah. So I kind of made a pretty natural transition over to that where I was doing, uh, really managing the content on uh, all of the, all of the written word on the site uh, and editing it and everything, um, which is not my background, but I guess I'm pretty good at English. And it was no <laughs> there was no math for that one? There was no math, thankfully. Yeah. That was one of, the, one of the things I was capable of. Um, and then, yeah, as, you know, as time went on, and especially after Disney came in, we started being able to do more things. So uh, they hired Mickey Kappa Ferry to run the team. Mickey's still here, and he rules. Mm. Uh, and Mickey and I decided let's let's do more video content. So we started doing a lot of video content. I was producing that at the same time as doing the site stuff. Um, and then they actually they decided to outsource the social for a while, mm -hmm. which ended up coming to me for approvals, and it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, Star Wars is hard, and Star Wars fans are discerning because we all know and we all care, and it. Like, you can tell when somebody's just getting paid to do Star Wars. And that was sort of the case because, you know, they're just a marketing agency. Yeah. Like, I don't blame them. This is not an easy thing. But eventually it got to a point where I was like, I'm spending so much time rewriting everything that they're posting. Uh, maybe I didn't really want to do it, but I'm like, <laughs> maybe I take over social. Let me hire one person who can actually be the day-to-day -day yeah. person at the computer replying to people. And, and we'll make it work. And they, again, took a took a chance on me and did that. And that's actually, I, I was able to hire somebody. I hired Andy Gutierrez. Mm -hmm. So that's how Andy got in here, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so we we did that for a while until eventually I left. <laughs> yeah. I would love to hone in just for a second on social just because that's what I do for my job. And yeah. I know it, it's very hard. And Star yeah, I'm Wars sorry. Social is <laughs> very, yeah, no, thank you. It is also very hard. Uh, what was that like? It was still pretty early for brands to kind of really be part of a digital community. Yeah, so it was it was interesting because we we started in social uh, with Bonnie Burton, who is also awesome, um, and she was running all of the social that existed at the time. She launched the Twitter, and that, Twitter was the main thing at mm -hmm. the time. Um, we had a Facebook, but it was used a little bit less. Um, and, you know, Bonnie was just basically doing what she knew how to do mm -hmm. because she was she was figuring out social as she as she went but she's super good at it because that's just her personality um after the whole kerfuffle with the agencies uh it was clear that we needed a strategy mm -hmm. and we couldn't just you know fly by the seat of our pants so taking a little bit of kind of what i learned from how the the agencies were at least managing their posts mm -hmm. Uh, and adding in what the actual content should be to try to make it creative and figuring out sort of the right voice to engage with fans. Uh, you know, after figuring out all of that, we that's kind of what I did for a couple years um, with Andy. Yeah. And, you know, we still have like this huge, really cool brand voice guide that is mostly written by me. <laughs> uh, that is, it's literally like how to talk to Star Wars fans, yeah. what things to say, how to reference these things. I did a cool breakdown of like uh, the generations of Star Wars fans. Wow. So this was before TFA. So it was kind of like the OT people, the Dark Times people like me, the prequel <laughs> kids, the Lego slash Clone Wars kids. Because Lego is very yeah. influential uh, for a certain generation. Yeah. Like a lot of people entered through that. 
um, and breaking down sort of what their interests are and how we can try to try to make a, a space for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome. I want that as an actual book now. Let's just call it. Is, it's really neat. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm happy to say that we have a relatively new uh, group of social, fo- social folks that are, are running, running it now mm-hmm. and doing a really good job. And I'm so glad that they at least started with my doc. My doc isn't dated. They need to update <laughs> yeah. it for sure. But they were at least, you know, taking a look at it and I'm like, cool, yeah. it's, it's living on in some way. And now they'll be able to, you know, social has taken a lot of steps since I left. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, TikTok didn't even exist at the time. Um, but it's nice to know that, like, some of what I did is still living on and that they're, you know, I've, I've been watching a lot of really positive interactions with oh, the channel lately, so and it's so nice to see. Yeah, D- uh, DJ's been doing a fantastic yeah. job with the reply. Yeah, DJ rules. And DJ yeah. is not that new, but he's, I feel like, able to really, like, put himself out there sure. a bit more and really go for it. And yeah, the team's great. It's awesome. I did. I would talk to him last night and I was like, Hey, I'm waiting on you to do a TikTok dances. Now DJ, just you on the star Wars channel. So well, you know, that could happen. I think now at this point, I mean, it can't be that hard. We should just take him over to Trader Sam's and just right. like, get, we can make this happen. And it'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, stay tuned on that. I guess. <laughs> so then what was that jump to, um, the story group and when, when, when were you first approached to kind of... So, uh, it, in 2012, before Disney, Disney, but right after Kathy took over, um, she did a big company meeting where she told everybody that we're going to be making new Star Wars movies and I'm creating this thing called the story group. And I looked at my boss at the time, I'm like, that's what I want to do. Mm. I don't know how, I'm definitely not qualified, but that hasn't stopped me. Um, <laughs> but that's what I want to do. Um, and so time went on. They, they hired. They they brought in a small group of people from the outside. They they took in like Pablo and Leland from from uh, Lucasfilm, and you know we we were all doing our thing. We, I was I was deep in the weeds for like how we're going to promote Force Awakens. Like mm-hmm. how do you how do you do a Star Wars yeah. movie on social? We've never had to do this before. Um, and I at one point I just met with Kiri. I'm like this. That's what I wanted. Kiri, Kiri Hart, who is the, the one that ran the story group at the time, who now owns an Oscar. She rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, she, she seemed to, like, understand what I might bring to the table. But, you know, then time continued. I knew Pablo's title was uh, creative executive, and my mom is, like, my biggest champion. So she was always checking the, the job sites, and she would just randomly send me jobs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you ever see this title... Yeah. You let me know, and she did. And she's she's the one that actually sent me that job. Uh, yeah, there we go, Claudia. Yeah, I owe everything to my mom <laughs> and my dad. My dad, my dad is great too. Um, but uh, so I put in for that job. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty certain I was the only one that actually that they actually interviewed for it because I think they really wanted somebody internal that mm-hmm. kind of understood the dynamic inside and all of the sort of, you know, how to do things inside. And they also wanted somebody at that time that would be able to focus on things that I was a big fan of, like comic books and video games and Disney parks. So I was kind of like born for that. Um, And yeah, I still had to go through the full like rigorous interview process, which was weird because I knew most of them. Mm -hmm. And like some of them, like Pablo, I'd known for, you know, a decade at the time. Or Leland, who was like the most intimidating interview I've ever had, um, which is it, she's like the greatest yeah. dude, but like uh, he's he did not go easy. Um, 
but yeah, so they, again, they just took a chance with me. That's awesome. So, okay, so for those watching and listening, what does your team, the franchise, story, and content team do? What is, what is the role? Sure, so um, we sort of work across all of the different franchise elements, which is essentially not live action is really what it comes down to. Um, and, you know, in both strategy, story development, and lore, mm-hmm. we're kind of more or less broken down into those three things. I do a little bit of everything. Um, but so we also do interface with the live action groups mm-hmm. to try to make sure that everything is aligned and everything that we do. Pablo specifically is pretty tied to the live action stuff. Um, lore advisor. Yeah. Pablo Hidalgo. Yeah, as exactly. Of, as of last I, night. Yeah. I mean, as, as, <laughs> as he should be. Um, but yeah, so we're just, we're kind of like that, that core that tries to keep all of the narrative together and you know, makes, makes sense strategically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I myself personally focus more on, so I, I am franchise story lead on parks, uh, ILM X lab publishing and online. And then I also work on just kind of a story development slash lore side on animation and, uh, video games. So I, I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a couple things. Yeah. <laughs> The, the things, especially that you mentioned, that are this push recently, especially towards interactivity in Star Wars, has been incredible. The, you know, ILM Lab has been just a huge force behind that, but then I'm thinking of things like even um, the Galactic Star Cruiser mm-hmm. and going on a cruise ship and having, a, you know, a, a bar on a, on a boat now. Like, all these things, how do you make sure that it's consistent and, and that someone approaching the Star Wars story as themselves can really live it? I mean, it's hard. Yeah. This is one of my favorite things. I, I love the interactive experiences. It's, you know, it's always been something that I want to do is to live in Star Wars. And like, you know, Star Wars Galaxies was the thing I was addicted to because <laughs> that was the closest I could get to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, that, was, that was for one, yeah. <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> um, but like, it's, it's so fascinating because you want to be able to kind of curate a story that feels right and true and fits within the larger Star Wars context and story. But at the same time, you want to make it so you're not taking away the agency of the person that's playing it or the guest that's going through it or the passenger on the Halcyon or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's each, each medium has its own challenges in that way, but it's always about trying to find a way to like let someone live their Star Wars fantasy yeah. and just kind of creating the world that they can do that in. Yeah. It is very successful, not to like toot your horn too much, but like, again, going to Batu on Wednesday, it like feels so familiar and coming, and like it's just like something I've been to what now three times, and it's just, it's like going home and you just feel like you're part of Star Wars and it's the most. Incredible yeah, I mean, Walt Disney Imagineering just knocked that out of the park. Yeah. I could just, I could live there. Yes. I used like when we were when we were building it. There's above the market. There's all these like apartments up there, yeah. and you can hear audio from them. Um, and when we were building it, I was like, can I just have an apartment up there? Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be big. I'm, no. I was living in San Francisco for 12 years. I'm used to small apartments. Yeah. Just hook me up. Yeah. <laughs> that could be good. Have Ronto wraps every day. Exactly. Kind of, that's it. Uh, one of the things that's kind of the cross between the Disney parks and ILMX Lab is the Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, yes. which is a, a really cool initiative to really bring in High Republic. It's like all mm-hmm. connected. 
um, what was it like crafting that story and kind of weaving a lot of that in with VR? Yeah, I mean, that was that was really fun because um, X-Lab always wants to try to do something new and Imagineering is always game for everything because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they want to innovate. So it was a it was an easy collaboration, and and I because I worked on both projects, I got to kind of be the sort of spoke in the middle there, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was just so fun because we we in our heads and even in other media had built out Batu being far more than just Black Spire, mm-hmm. and so uh, Tales gave us an op- opportunity to actually show some more of that and show you know an area that was once run by the, you know, the ancients of Batu mm-hmm. or show the Jedi temple there, um, things that you don't experience in the park, but then you can also go, you know, into Cecil Slack's cantina and look mm-hmm. out the window and that's the park, you know? Right. Um, so it was great. And we also got to bring to life, uh, characters like Mubo mm-hmm. who's referenced and heard in the park, right. but, uh, you didn't really get to experience him. So, mm-hmm. and, and doc, you get to interact with mm-hmm. directly and just like, it was great. It was very cool. Yeah. And now there's a Mubo keychain. I saw that. Yeah, on I saw Wednesday. that. I saw that on yeah Tuesday, and I'm like, oh my god. And I saw I saw Matt Wood who voices mm-hmm. Mubo. I saw him yesterday. I'm like, dude, there's a keychain now. <laughs> Everyone tonight at Star Wars night, pick up your uh, Mubo keychains. Uh, big line out the out the door at uh, Docs. Um, well, then I want to talk a little bit about my favorite Star Wars really in years, which was Visions. Just. Fantastic storytelling and a really unique, you know, clap it up for Vision. Uh, because it's interesting because the connectivity, you know, obviously it wasn't canon pieces or whatever it might be. What was the core components of Star Wars that you at least were hoping to connect and kind of figure out the storytelling beats for? Yeah, I mean, that, that project was so creator-based that it was, you know, them coming in and... They have their ideas of what they want to tell. And for the most part, because it was, you know, not part of the main continuity, we were pretty open to, to the stories they wanted to tell as long as it kind of fit that overall thematic Star Wars feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually, it was, it was a really refreshing process because it was, you know, every time I'm looking at a script or something, the notes I'm giving are like, in other media, we would do this. You can do that. Or do your own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's if if somebody, you know, if somebody in a Marvel comic book came to us with a lightsaber umbrella, I'd probably be like, yeah, no. <laughs> but when when Visions does it, it's like, yeah, that's it's anime. Cool. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, more more of that, uh, please, because that, uh, that entire um, project and the, the book component of it all is is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I'm really proud of that book. Yeah. The book is really cool. Um, what would a day for your job look like? What is your day-to-day currently kind of? Um, well, I'm still mostly working at home. So we are, we're, we're technically hybrid, but because mm-hmm. most of my job is on Zoom calls anyways, yeah. I stay home because that's where my pets are. <laughs> um, so it, it really is. It's, it's a wide variety of uh, Zoom calls that are either talking strategy or talking story, doing full story conferences and story breaks. Uh, most of those have been done remotely for the last two years. We did recently, we had a High Republic phase three uh, conference mm. uh, in person in Orlando. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's real good. <laughs> or at least it should be. We, you know, we don't have much more, but the stuff we talked about is really cool. Uh, and, and we've done, I think I've been in one other in-person yeah. uh, thing for animation. But for the most part, it's all that 
and it's it's just a combination of that and a lot a lot a lot of reading and mm-hmm. providing notes um you know sometimes i'm reading all day or something you know if we get like a book manuscript in that could kind of derail derail our entire or at least my entire week <laughs> Uh, to where I'm like, okay, I have to crank through 400 pages and all of these Zoom calls in five <laughs> days. How am I going to do that? There's a lot of reading in bed, right. you know. Um, but it's not so bad because it's Star Wars, and it's probably if I wasn't reading it then, I'd read it later. <laughs> <laughs> so it it works out. But how, it's, mu- how much math is involved? In, in- Thankfully, I don't think there's any math in this job. <laughs> I, I left that behind at Star Wars Shop. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of overarching connectivity now of Star Wars and all the medium, right? The sorts of the ones that you're touching, mm-hmm. you know, you read a comic and it mentions the Halcyon, or you go to Batu and you see a scorch mark, you see all these pieces, and sometimes that can feel overwhelming or almost in lieu of a story, but oftentimes, every time, Star Wars really walks that line very, very well, and I'm sure that's a huge challenge to make sure it's just not like a bunch of Wikipedia pages. Yeah. Uh, what's that like kind of in your mind? How do you approach that? I mean, it's exactly that. It's everything the choices that we make either need to just make logical sense or have to have really a meaningful reason for being Mm -hmm. it's not just let's add this easter egg for fun for the most part um (laughs) or have this random character show up at least in the things the things that i'm involved in it's i will i will be like the fun police of like no we shouldn't do that character which probably sucks for some fans, but I'm sorry if that character doesn't make sense, the character doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want it to feel authentic because I want it to be believable and, and like, the galaxy's really big. Right. Um, so it's always looking for ways that it's like, yes, this could, this could logically happen and this will further the story or make this product better by yep. doing that. Or, you know, really encouraging creators, like, create your own world, create your own characters because this is Star Wars and those characters are going to become legends in themselves and 10 years from now other people like you are going to be trying to get those characters into their things. <laughs> so like it's actually fun to create new stuff too. So yeah. it's it's all about, you know, finding that balance. For sure. Are there any during this whole process, are there any projects that you're the most proud of? Like looking back, especially over the past few years, any projects that really stick out as something that? I mean, Galaxy's Edge and Star Cruiser yeah. by far will almost certainly be like the highlights of my career uh-huh. um, because it's a big parks fan, a big interactive experiences fan. Star Cruiser especially, it's, it's a really impressive feat, which I definitely do not take credit for. But the way that we've been able to tell a story with multiple crazy branching narratives for you know 300 people or whatever (laughs) are on the ship for two days straight that all comes together with a meaningful conclusion that everybody feels like they had a part in uh was an incredible task and like the first time I went through I was really worried when I when I went through my first test voyage which was early it was like Mm -hmm. you know they there was a lot of props missing and everything and I was just like, oh, my God, this is, this is going to work. This is going to work. And I get there, and at the end of day one, I was like, whoa, it works. <laughs> and by, by the end of it, I looked at Scott Trowbridge, and I was like, dude, this makes me feel about Star Wars the way I felt about Star Wars before working here. Mm. Which is, like, I'm not, I'm not particularly jaded, but, like, I have a different relationship with it now than I did then. Yeah. And it was like, it brought me back to exactly where I wanted to be. That's incredible. Well, this would be the part of the show where I would ask, like, what's coming up? What, what are you working on? And 
uh, that got nixed, but no, uh, but I w- I'm not going to do that for you. I'm trying to think if there's anything recently <laughs> announced that I could be like, oh yeah, I'm working on that, yeah. but I have not been following what announcements no, have been yeah, happening at this show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. They're uh, announcing some stuff that I, if it's, if it's those fields that I talked about, I'm probably involved in some way. <laughs> there we go. So look out for those things at various times. <laughs> yeah. If people did not get their fill of Matt Martin talking right now, <laughs> which I, I... I feel like they should have had enough by now. <laughs> where else can people hear and see you this weekend, and uh, what are your plans? Um, I have a panel today, hoping that my uh, my voice doesn't leave me by then. I think it's at four um, in the, whatever the big one is, the arena, the mm. gal- no, wait, celebration, celebration stage. Uh, that's the Disney Parks, uh, Parks Through the Generations or something like that, where we're going to actually go through... Um, basically the first things that occurred with Disney and uh, Lucasfilm all the way to today with, you know, a few little things in there. Um, Tony Baxter, who is like a, the legend of legend uh, Imagineers is on the panel. So that's really cool. I'm a little nervous about that. Um, <laughs> so that's the only panel I have left. And then I also have uh, the Star Cruiser booth. If you're interested in Imagineering or, or Star Cruiser in general, uh, Star Cruiser Booth is doing a thing called Meet the Makers. Uh, the schedules should be posted online. I am sometimes on that. I don't know my times off the top of my head. Um, but don't even, like, it, the other people are amazing. So, like, don't even wait for me. Go talk to them and learn what they do because Imagineering is, is, yeah, it's it's a bonkers place. <laughs> There's, yeah, they are, like, the top of the top of the game in interactive. Um, and so, yeah. Go talk to them. If I happen to be there, come talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. How much Lucasport is in the presentation for the 35th, the, the pre-Lucas, or, you know, with the reimagined Tomorrowland? Because um, that would be, maybe add that to the PowerPoint. With you the know what? Coaster. I don't think, any, yeah, I don't think anything is. Well, you have what? Yeah. Four, four hours. I will, I will tell Tony you right Baxter. now, I am not at all prepared for that panel, so who knows what well, we're going to talk about. I wasn't prepared for this one, so uh, <laughs> we're, it's all good. Uh, well, Matt, thank you for being here. Thank you sure. all for coming. Everyone, give it up for Matt Martin. Thank you. Uh, thank you yeah, so thanks. much. Uh, well, that's it. We'll keep it short. We'll keep it sweet. We'll get everyone back to... Uh, Whatever Lawrence Kazan is talking about. Did anything get announced that's like uh, about to ruin my life? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Please don't tell Ron Howard that I said that. Uh, Thank you all for coming. This means the world. And Matt, thank you for for being a part of this. And uh, thank you all for listening and and buying the shirts and and being here and um, telling me to buy things on on eBay. So um, thank you. Well, that'll do it. We have merch. If there wasn't one on your seat, we do have uh, real or not real highlighters from the beginning uh, episode one documentary. Um, you can choose which one that you w- would prefer. There's also a third mystery blue highlighter that Lucas has in his hands in that scene that he never uses, but we also did that too. So if uh, you, know, you really want to, uh, that's called a, a, a deep cut. Uh, so uh, anyway, enjoy the rest of your con. Thank you for making this part of your day, and uh, we'll see you out there.